0: The following message is brought to you by George Lawson Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak.
1: Why don't we take our Bibles and open up to the book of Daniel, we're in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2 as we uh, continue uh, working through the, the book of Daniel and I do want to say a word of thanks to uh, uh, Jeff Weaver and Chuck uh, Brooks who filled the pulpit uh, for me uh, while I was uh, away, but uh, grateful uh, to both of those uh, men and their labors in the word, uh, so grateful that our church is, uh, is well fed. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, I, I'm calling this, this sermon, I Had a Dream. I had a dream, Uh, and it's actually uh, King who had a dream here. Uh, King had a dream in uh, Daniel chapter 2, and as we turn there, it's important uh, to be reminded uh, that the overarching theme of the book of of Daniel is the sovereignty of God over the nations, the sovereignty of God over the nations. As uh, Daniel chapter 4 and verse uh, 17 lets us know, the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes. And sets over it the lowliest of men. And the exiles who were in Babylon, uh, there was absolutely no indication that God was somehow losing control. Uh, The the, the exiles in the, the nation of Babylon shouldn't have thought that God was losing control. The exiles in Babylon, they lost their national security, their visible authority, religious ceremony, their physical geography, even their individual identity as they've been called by other names. Uh, But they were not to think that God had lost control over the nations. And to demonstrate God's rule over the world and his care for his people in Daniel chapter 2, God gives Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, a dream. But it was apparent to this king that this wasn't just any kind of dream. God was trying to tell him something. And that the dream troubled the king so much that his sleep left him. That his soul became fearful and that he was... Furious because nobody could tell him what the dream meant. So so just just think about this for a moment. Here here we have a king known as the, the greatest king in the world during this time. The greatest ruler in the world. And God was able to bring him to his knees by something as small and as insignificant as you might think as just a dream. That he was able to trouble the greatest ruler of the world With a dream, he was completely powerless because of this dream that God gave them. And all the king's sorcerers and all the king's men couldn't put the king back together again. So here here this king is so troubled, it's so significant, this dream that he was given by God. And what's really being demonstrated in this chapter is, again, the, the sovereignty of God over even the kings of this world. That all the the learning and language and the religion of Babylon could not help this king. Everything was useless. The gods of Babylon were were useless. They were bankrupt to come up with any answers for this king. For the most important questions in life, they were empty. Down in verse 10 of uh, Daniel chapter 2, it says, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. And as much as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean, moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. There is no one else who could declare to the king except gods whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. The gods that they worship did not dwell with men. They did not declare knowledge to men and apparently didn't even really care about men. Uh, The gods were absolutely useless when it mattered the most. The gods of Babylon were bankrupt. No answers to the most significant questions of life. And what's really going on here, as we've been already saying throughout the book of Daniel, is that we're, we're seeing that, the, that God, even though uh, he allowed his children to be exiled and uh, deported into to Babylon, that God is still showing everyone that I'm still in charge. <laughs> I'm still over all the gods of the, the world. There is no one who is like me. Uh, Even in exile, this king, the most powerful man on the world, is being troubled by a dream that God sends to him. And it still shows and demonstrates that God is supreme. And that's what we're to see in the book of of Daniel, that God reigns over all. The most high is ruler over the realm of mankind. So let's jump in to Daniel chapter 2, and we'll read from uh, verse 1 down to verse 13 as we begin here. Daniel chapter 2. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call all the magicians and conjurers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, "'The command from me is firm. "'If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, "'you will be torn limb from limb, "'and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. "'But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, "'you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. "'Therefore declare to me the dream and its interpretation.' They answered a second time and said, "'Let the king tell the dream to his servants, "'and we will declare the interpretation.' "'The king replied, "'I know for certain.'" That you are bargaining for time, and as much as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, "There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king." As much as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Uh, let's bow our heads for a moment and go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you, Lord, as we always do, uh, trusting in you, resting on you. Uh, Lord, we depend on you for understanding that every time we open up this book, uh, Father, that uh, we rely on, on you to, to help us to understand uh, the, the wonderful words that come from your law. Uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, uh, help us today. my uh, Father, that you would uh, make these things clear to us and uh, that you would allow us to, to put these principles into practice in our lives, what we find in, in your truth. And Father, I pray that you would use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first point, and I know it's not behind me on the screen, but the first point is the king had a dream. Uh, Again, in verse 1, it says, Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And now before we we jump in into the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, it's important that we kind of walk through some of these details up front, and even about the way that Daniel tracks time is something important to note. It says, Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Uh, refers to this second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Uh, but it's important to to note that the Babylonians counted the years differently. Uh, They actually counted the first year uh, that the king came into power as his year of accession. Uh, So uh, it wasn't actually counted as the first year of his reign, it was counted the year that he came to the throne. So they, they looked at the first year in office as the year of accession, and it was the year uh, that he really attained his position, really finishing out the year of his predecessor. And then it was after that that they counted the first year. So that would be the first year of the reign after that. So this is just the way that Babylonians refer to the years of their, their kings. And this is significant for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, there are critics who try to discredit Daniel because of the way that he refers to the reign of the kings. For example, in Daniel chapter 1, if you flip back there just really quickly, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1, It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. But if you were to flip back to Jeremiah chapter 25, and just want to show you this really quick. It's a a point I didn't bring up before, but want to point it out to you now just so you can understand the significance of it. In Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 1, it says, the word that came to Jeremiah... Concerning all the people of Judah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So here it says that it's in the the fourth year of Jehoiakim that was Nebuchadnezzar's first year. But when you flip over to Daniel, it says it was in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the critics say, aha, there it is. You can't trust the Bible. Contradictions. There it is. One says four years. The other says three years. You know, the Bible can't get it straight. Uh, but Daniel is learned in the literature and language of the who? The Babylonians. So he's speaking as a Babylonian would speak. Uh, so when he refers to the year of Jehoiakim, he's not counting the year of accession; He's counting the year of the rain. In the same way, when he refers to Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't refer to the year of accession, the year that he came to the throne, but the year of the, the reign, the first uh, year of reign of the throne. So anyway, there's not a contradiction in Scripture. We would already know that, uh, but just to answer that question up front. Another reason why I pointed that out is because it's important that we understand the way that Daniel tracks time again because Daniel and his friends were educated for three years. So here when it talks about the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, you have to count that there's three years that Daniel and his friends have been educated under Nebuchadnezzar. The year of accession and the two years of his reign. So at this point, Daniel and his friends have just graduated from the University of Babylon. Okay, uh, So they, they finally entered into kind of like the, the full service of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. So they're no longer just in training They've actually entered in uh, to becoming what they would consider wise, man, wise men in, in Babylon. And that's, that'll be important as we uh, look later on in the text. But just wanted to point that out up front. So, in other words, Daniel and his friends have just graduated. They're in service. And they get swept up in the decree that's to come later on because it's, they've already completed their three years of training. So, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, it's the same year that Daniel and his friends are entering into the service. And... Nebuchadnezzar, as it says in verse 1 of chapter 2, has this dream in his second year and after the three years of training of Daniel and his friends. Verse 1 actually says that he had dreams, plural. Multiple dreams. But these dreams, these plural dreams, actually uh, uh, were were, were the same dream. Down in verse 3 it says, I had a dream. Verse 26, he speaks about a dream, singular. So it's either multiple dreams on the same night, but it's all the same recurring dream over and over and over again. Or it's like a dream in a series where it's like you kind of pick up where you left off the last time and it's like, you know, you just keep on dreaming that same dream. It's like picking up where it left off before. So multiple dreams, but it's like one continuous story, one dream that he's having here. And he's determined that this dream was so troubling that that he can't even go back to sleep. He he determines that this has to be a divine message. This, this dream was so powerful, so vivid, it, it, it was repeated. This dream has to mean something. This, this is a message from God. And there are many times in Scripture where God speaks to people through dreams. God spoke to Abimelech, uh, who was uh, a ruler over uh, Philistine and uh, Philistia, and about taking Abraham's wife. He warned him in a dream, don't, don't take the man's wife. God spoke to Jacob in a dream, Genesis 28 and 31. God spoke to Joseph in a dream, many times in dreams, Genesis 37. And he also interpreted dreams for Pharaoh, Genesis 40 and 41. God warned the Midianites in a dream about facing uh, Israel in Judges 7. God spoke to Solomon in a dream, 1 Kings chapter 3. God spoke to Joseph, Mary's husband, in a dream in Matthew chapter 1. And God spoke to Pilate's wife in a dream in Matthew chapter 27. So there's many times in scripture where God spoke to people in dreams, uh, but that does not mean that God was speaking to you last night when you had a dream. In case anybody was wondering and pulling out the, the dream books, you know, put, put the books away. Uh, God is not speaking to you, and whatever you dreamt last night is probably whatever you ate. Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days... "...has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world." God speaks to us today through his Son, Jesus Christ, and those who represented his Son, the apostles and the prophets. So God actually warned people about making too much of their dreams. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, uh, starting at verse 1, uh, it says, "...if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder..." And the sign or wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, "Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them." You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you know what he's saying? Uh, you're to evaluate the dreamer based on the scripture. It's the scripture where you get your information from. Don't don't follow after somebody's dream. You know, that's not where, what we base doctrine off of. We base doctrine off of what does the Word of God have to say. That, that's where we get truth. Jeremiah twenty three thirty two, Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting, yet I did not send them or command them, nor did they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness rather fear God but during this time before the revelation of Christ God spoke in these ways to bring words of warning and revelation and this king got the message he had this dream of so powerful so vivid it was undeniable to him that this this has to be a message a message from the gods and uh here he is he doesn't have answers and there's a recognition by this king that there's, there's more to life than this physical existence. There's something beyond this life, right? There's, there's some information that I need that's outside of what I can gather just in front of me. There's something beyond. And, and I don't have the answers for it. And there's a message from beyond that I can't, I can't understand. And there might even be some of you here today because you understand that there's more to life than this physical existence. There's, there's got to be more to life than this. I remember... Uh, uh, right around the time when I was just coming to know, know the Lord, I mean, that was one of the questions that kept coming to my mind. It's like, there's got, there's got to be more to life than this. There's something else. And here he has this question. There's got to be, there's got to be more to this. And, and there, there's, there's a message that I'm supposed to understand. There's, there's truth, and that, that truth has to come from outside of me. I, I, can't, I can't reach the truth on my own. So the king starts searching for answers. So he brings all the king's sorcerer and all the king's men. Verse 2 says, Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king gathered together the wise men to give them the I had a dream speech. And these would be the, the ancient witch doctors, experts in divination, those who could discern messages from the gods, There are many classes of diviners that are listed here. Magicians were from a a chief priest group. They were considered uh, uh, even um, uh, scholars, you know, those who would write down things and record it for generations to come. Actually, the the, the Hebrew uh, word that's similar to this word for magicians here is a word for for a pen, picking up a pen, a stylus. Conjurers is a word that was used for those who are known for speaking to the dead. Necromancers. 1 Samuel 28 gives an example of Saul who wanted to speak to Samuel beyond the grave. So he goes to a conjurer to conjure him up. Bring up Samuel so I can talk to him again. I want to talk to somebody beyond the, the grave. Chaldeans were uh, uh, people from southern Babylon who are known for astrology. They kept track of the movement of stars and comets. And sorcerers were those who practiced sorcery, incantations. They would cut up herbs and cast spells. You know, kind of like you see in the movies, you know, they kind of put it in a pot and like cast these spells. Th- these are the people that the, the king calls. Like, can, can somebody help me? Chaldeans, like I said, they were known for astrology, the movement of the stars and the comets. One historical record notes this it says, the very careful records Babylonian astronomers kept of the movements of planets and comets and phases of the moon were mainly for the purpose of determining the influence that these gods, thinking that these are gods out there, might exert upon men and nations. Beginning about 747 B.C., very accurate records were handed down, carefully recorded so that the Babylonian astronomer Nabar-Manu in 500 B.C. was able to calculate the length of the year at 365 days, 6 hours, 15 minutes, and 41 seconds, which is actually only 26 minutes and 55 seconds off of what we know today to be accurate. They were doing this from back in the the 500s. And even before that, you know, calculating things, looking at the stars, looking at the phases of the moon, calculating days. What do the stars have to tell us? And one of their main interests was interpretation of dreams. The Chaldeans in particular were considered experts in interpreting dreams. One source says this, these experts in dreams worked on the principle that dreams in their sequel... Followed an empirical law, which, given sufficient data, could be established. The the dream manual, so they'd have these books which would record people's dreams and what happened after they had the dream, okay? So it's kind of of like a a farmer's almanac, right? Almanac. They'd look at like, hey, what happened last year, and you know, this happened, and now we can kind of track that out and think that this is gonna happen in the, the next year to come. So they're looking at the dreams. Well, this happened to that guy. So he had the same dream, and this also happened to this guy, and he had the same dream, so this must be what that part of that dream meant. So they'd keep these elaborate records, these dream manuals. And uh, these books were arranged systematically for easy reference, and since these books had to try to cover every possible eventuality, they became inordinately long. Only the expert could find his way through them, and even he had to know the dream to begin with before he could search for the nearest possible parallel. So these guys became experts, and tracking dreams, recording dreams and seeing what would happen after a person had a dream. And then this time they say, "Hey, let's uh, let's let's get the, the dream of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. We can we can figure this out. We could go back to our books and open up the books and and figure out like, you know, what his dream was in similarity with another person's dream and figure out what this meant." But all of this the Bible says is forbidden. Leviticus 19:31 Do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 20, verse 6. That's for the person who turns to mediums and spiritists to play the harlot after them. I will also set my face against the person and will cut him off from among his people. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. When will you come? When when they say to you, consult the mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. All of this was forbidden. So if you're running around checking your horoscopes, following your signs, getting your palms read, you fall underneath this condemnation. That's not how you're supposed to try to figure out life and... And how am I going to chart the future? You do, do not go to a palm, palm reader, a tarot card reader, or whatever else they have going on out there. I'm, I'm just amazed about like how many uh, how many of these uh, you know the, the signs, the palm signs you see like you know going around town sometimes. It's like really are there there are really that many people out there looking for for answers for life? And the answer is yes. And you, you think that some somebody would have said something about COVID or something, but you know like nobody nobody can figure that out but people are still going to them you know thinking that they have some answers supposed experts but they're demonically influenced i remember i was uh, downtown baltimore sharing the gospel it was actually i think it was during scatter you know downtown uh, sharing the gospel and uh, i was talking to this uh, one young lady and uh she was handing out uh these little cards for, you know, uh, palm readers. You know, hey, like, we've got somebody over here who can read your palm, and she's handing out, like, these little cards to tell everybody, like, where they can go to get their palm read. And, uh, you know, I started talking to her, sharing the gospel with her. And then this lady runs out of nowhere. Stop talking to her! Stop talking to her! Uh, Like, how do you even know what I'm talking about, right? If, If you don't think there's demonic influence out there, it's, it's real. Uh, people going out here, you know, they think they're, oh, I'm just going to go and have a good time. This is, you know, just something we kind of do on the weekend or whatever, and, you know, do it for fun. It is demonically influenced. Should not a people consult their God? So here they are. Supposed experts, demonically influenced. And the king gives them a test. Verse 3 says, The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. And the Chaldean said to the spoke to the king in Aramaic, "Uh, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. Just a a brief technical note. At this point in the story, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 4, it switches over from Hebrew to Aramaic. And uh, the Aramaic continues all the way through chapter 7 and verse 28. And there's some discussion about Why does this section appear in Aramaic instead of Hebrew? Aramaic Aramaic is a language that was close to to Hebrew, but it was a a, a language that was used in the courts. It was an ancient trade language used several centuries before the Babylonian empire by the Babylonians themselves. And many people wonder like, well, why does it switch from Hebrew to Aramaic? And the, the clear implication here is that Daniel's intention under the inspiration of God was to proclaim the bankruptcy of the pagan deities before everybody. He, he, he wanted this to be known wide and far. wanted it out for the widest possible group you know, to, to, to show the bankruptcy of your false religion. Let, let me show you what your gods can't do. And he, he opens it up for everybody. So this section starts out in Aramaic after it says, uh, you know, the, the, the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. That's where it starts, the Aramaic section of the book of Daniel. And uh, what we have here is uh, uh, the, the, the gods of the, the pagans being exposed for what they are, being no gods at all. It opens up with this kind of common etiquette, you know, court etiquette, you know, o King, live forever. You know, it's a common address to kings, you know, wishing him a long life. They say, tell the dream to your servants and we'll declare the interpretation. And here they claim to have access to this knowledge. And they're lying about it. <laughs> They're saying, we will declare the interpretation. They, they had no idea if they got the interpretation right or not. With all of their books, with all of their learning, they could not offer certainty. The best that they can offer is guesswork. There's no certainty in this. And without the knowledge of God, I just want to let you know that there is no certainty. If you're familiar with the, the debate in apologetics, that's what uh, presuppositional apologetics is all about. It recognizes that the very best that man can offer without reference to God is uncertainty, possibilities, probabilities. There is no certain knowledge outside of reference to God. And any claim to certainty that does not find its basis in God himself is a lie. (laughs) You can't be certain without God. God is the standard of truth. He's the standard of goodness. He's the standard of beauty. How do you say anything for certain without the standard? Anything else, you're left with the question of Pilate, what is truth? And and that's where you are. What what is truth? You don't know. I have nothing to be certain about. That that's where you're left. It's either what is truth, or as Jesus said, thy word is truth. It's one or the other. You're either wondering about what truth is, or you know what truth is because God has communicated it. And God is the God of truth. And here you have these Chaldeans saying, Oh king, live forever. You know, tell us, we'll we'll tell you the interpretation. We'll tell you the interpretation of the dream. In verse 5, the king replied to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm. Actually, you have uh, uh, in in the King James, it says uh, the thing is gone from me. Uh, Some people understand that to say that the king forgot the dream. Uh, But the best way to understand that is that he's saying that what has gone out from me is what has been spoken. I've I've said what I've said. And what I've said stands. I'm not telling you the dream. You're going to have to tell me the dream. The command from me is firm. I've said what I've said. It's already gone out, and I mean business. I've already said it. And it also makes sense out of the context because the king was so disturbed by this dream that that he's anxious to know what it means, and he wants to know that I'm going to get a certain answer about this dream. This is the test from the king. You know, who knows? He might have already had the impression that he was being lied to already. You know, forget your dream books. I don't want your dream books today. I want some certainty. I want some answers. And he reasons that if they're going to be able to tell them the future, they should be able to tell them the past. If you're going to declare what the future is to me, I mean, certainly you can tell me what, what's already happened, right? I mean, that's like the easier of the two. That's what's already occurred. You know, tell me what's already occurred, and then you can tell me about what's to come in the future. It's actually the same argument that God makes in Isaiah chapter 41, where it says, present your case, says the Lord, Isaiah 41 and verse 21. Present your case, the Lord says. Bring forward your strong arguments. The king of Jacob says, let them bring forth and declare to us what is going to take place. As for the former events, the things that have already happened, declare what they were, that we may consider them and know their outcome or announce to us what is coming. Declare the things that are going to come afterward that we may know that you are gods. If you really want to stand up and say, I'm a god, I have these gods that I rely on, let them tell you the past and let them tell you the future. And then we can determine whether or not you're truly God's. Let, let us all behold together, you know, how, how great you are. And Nebuchadnezzar's starting to put this picture together. He says, like, if you're going to tell me the future, you should know the past. Why don't you tell me what I dreamt first? Let, let's start there. Verse 5. Let, 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 let me know what the dream is. The command from me is firm, and if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. I think Nebuchadnezzar's upset. (laughs) And he's not speaking in hyperbole. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar is a war general. This is a warrior. In 2 Kings chapter 25 and verse 7, if you want to think about what kind of man Nebuchadnezzar was, Nebuchadnezzar slaughtered the sons of a Judean king named Zedekiah, slaughtered his sons in front of his eyes, and then plucked his eyes out. So that the last thing that this king would see were his own sons being murdered. That's the kind of individual they're dealing with. They know that he means business. When he says, I'm going to rip you apart limb from limb, that's not just saying, hey, we're going to get into a fight today. He's saying, no, I'm going to to rip your arms off. (laughs) I'm going to rip your legs off. I mean, that's what I'm going to do to you. I mean business. And your houses will be turned into a rubbish heap. That's what Josiah did to the places of the, the false god, Molech, he turned it into a trash pile. Uh, Jehu did it to the, where Baal was worshipped. He turned it into a latrine. You know, it's where people would uh, defecate. And basically, that's what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. I'm going to rip you apart limb from limb, and I'm going to turn your houses into outhouses so, so that your, your memory will be defiled by everybody who follows you. That's what's going to happen to you if you can't tell me what my dream is. But if you can tell me the dream, if you can declare it, verse 6, your reward will be great. You'll receive gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. It's just that simple, isn't it? You know, either either you don't tell me and, uh, you know, you can say goodbye to your family. Or you can tell me and, like, you know, we'll we'll give you some honor here. And at this point, the wise men attempt to exercise some wisdom. So they repeat their question again. Verse 7, they answered a second time, let the king tell the dream. And we'll declare the interpretation like, king, be reasonable here. No, just, just tell us. And the king sees right through their words. Verse 8, the king replied, I know for certain that you're bargaining for time. And as much as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there's only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me the interpretation. They're claiming a knowledge that they don't possess, and the king starts to figure out, I'm, I'm surrounded here by liars. No, nobody can tell me the truth. And then finally, in verse 10, they, they actually start, start speaking honestly here. Look at verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. And as much as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this, or magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. There's no one else who could declare it to the king except God, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. What's the truth, king? We, we don't have any answers for you. That's, that's the truth. That's the truth. Nobody has answers like this for you, king. We, we don't have access to that kind of knowledge. We don't have access to divine, supernatural knowledge. We, we don't have it. And if you're here today, like I've said before... If, apart from the God of Scripture, you also don't have any access to knowledge. Apart from the God of Scripture. And that, that's where mankind lives today. Searching for answers and finding nothing because they have not submitted themselves to the God of the Bible. Actually, First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, As it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man you know what that's saying? That, that you can't access divine truth just through the, the ears and the eyes and you can't access divine truth just from what enters into your heart that you actually need it to be revealed to you. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. Like I, I need more than just what I can see and hear. I need more than just what I can think up on my own. I need God to communicate to me if I'm to know truth. The Bible describes the unbeliever in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 as being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And you have to understand the order there. It's darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. The ignorance is in them because of the hardness of their heart. So they have no access to truth because the heart... Has become hardened. The, the, the reason that, that people don't access truth isn't because, like, oh, the people are just ignorant; they just don't know any better. No, that's not what it is. It's that people harden their hearts against God, and then they don't perceive anything that God has revealed. It's the hardness of the heart. It's important to pay attention to the order. It's because you've hardened your heart that you're ignorant. John seven seventeen says, "If anyone is willing to do His will." He will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. If, If you have a desire to do the truth, then you'll know the truth. John 3 says, this is the judgment, verse 19, that light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. You can't access divine truth through human wisdom. You can't reason your way to God. You can't just kind of think your way to divine truth. It has to come by revelation. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, right? In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So you can't get there from here. We need divine wisdom. We need revelation. 1 Corinthians 1, 19 says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well-pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. We need the the revelation of of God. We can't reason our way to it. And these sorcerers, Chaldeans, they, they couldn't reason their way to supernatural truth. It's like you can't get there from here. And they come to this dead end. Look at verse 12 back in Daniel. Verse 12. So, because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Just, just kill them all. <laughs> I have no use for any of them. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. And where else can it go? This, this is the, the road of destruction. Search for truth in the wrong place, you end up in a dead end. And that's where so many people are today. So many people are here today. They have no answers, and life seems meaningless. And then they become destructive to themselves and destructive to others. That's, that's what happens. Destroy themselves and destroy others. Because they have no truth. There's no light. It's like there's nowhere to go. I, I, I just feel hopeless. There, there, there's nobody who can help me out. I, I can't get there. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Left without, without divine revelation, and the end of that way is death. And here, literally, Nebuchadnezzar, kill them all! <laughs> there, there's nothing out here. Proverbs 16, 25, There is a way which seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And this is what it looks like when the bottom falls out. Searching for answers in the wrong places, you come to a dead end, and many people become embittered and angry. You ever wonder why there's so many angry people out here? (laughs) People who are angry, people I've shared the gospel with, angry? No direction, no answers for life, so they respond with anger, frustration. I I can't figure it out. I I can't find my way, and they become embittered and angry at the world, just angry at everybody. Well, what would we expect? That's what you expect without divine revelation. When, when you're searching in all the wrong places, James 3 and verse 15 says, the wisdom is not that which comes from above, but it's earthly, natural, and demonic. And all that is contrasted with Daniel and his friends. Look at uh, verse 14. Actually, I'll start at verse 13 again. It says, so the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. They looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Ariach, the captain of the king's bodyguard who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon he said to Ariach, the king's commander for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent then Ariach informed Daniel about the matter here Daniel receives the king's death wish and it appears that Ariach was more than just a bodyguard he was the king's executioner and he has the responsibility of rounding up all the, all the wise men, including Daniel and his friends, who, had again, remember, just graduated into the company of the wise men. They finished their three-year education, and now they're considered one of the, the group. They're one of the wise men. So he finds Daniel and delivers this troubling news. You know, hey, Daniel, how you doing? I'm here to kill you. <laughs> and uh, if you can get your friends together, too, because, uh, you know, they're gone, too. And in the same way that Daniel responded in wisdom to the commander of the officials in chapter 1, in the same way he responds with clarity and even respect to the overseer in chapter 1, Daniel responds with, with this kind of calm respect. Hey, hey you know, Ariok, Before before we go through with this, can you tell me why this is so urgent? <laughs> like, help, help me out here. Why is the decree from the king so urgent? And it appears that Ariach is a reasonable guy because he doesn't just take him and say, hey, you know, don't, don't worry about that. He, he actually explains it to him. Let me, let me tell you, Daniel, like what's, what's going on. You know, obviously it seems like he doesn't want to go through with this. And here we have demonstrated this application of godly wisdom. In Daniel chapter one, verse nine, it says, now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. We also have God's favor that's demonstrated. Daniel's a man of wisdom. He's a man of favor. And here in the same way, God is granting favor again. In chapter 2, when he went in and, and said, let me, let me talk to the king, verse 16. So Daniel went in, requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. If you stop right there, if you remember, the, uh, the wise men asked Nebuchadnezzar, you know, hey, can you tell us a dream? And the king said, you're just wanting more time. That's all you want. You just want more time. Daniel comes in, and what does he ask for? Hey, can you give me some more time? <laughs> and what does the king offer him? He gives him time. What does that say? Daniel was favored. God is at work here. You know, it's God was favoring Daniel. And if he, uh, it, what we have here is that he gives him what he asked for. The favor of the Lord is upon him. And we know for sure that the king personally examined Daniel and his friends and he found them to be ten times wiser than all the, you know, the wise men of his land. So he's like, you know, hey, I, you know, this, this guy might actually, you know, produce here. So I'll, I'll give you the time that you need, Daniel. And rather than making excuses about how hard the request was, Daniel says, give me time in order that I might declare the interpretation to the king. But his interpretation that he would give to the king is not based on his possibilities and probabilities and let me look into the dream books and find something that might fit because Daniel has access to divine revelation. Like that's where I'm going to get answers. That's where truth is going to come from. That's where certainty is going to come from. It's not going to be like what these other, you know, conjurers are, are putting together. This is, this is the way that Daniel responds to the king. And I want you to see something that, 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 that's found here. There's a parallel between Nebuchadnezzar, who receives troubling news, and Daniel receiving troubling news. And there's a contrast between the two. The king receives this troubling news, and he's up all night, can't sleep, he's troubled, he's anxious. Daniel hears the troubling news, and he's completely calm, clear-headed. Hey, Ariac, let me, let me talk to you about this, and uh, let's, let's, let's reason this thing together. Can I talk to the king and ask for some more time? There's a difference between the way that Uh, believers respond and that unbelievers respond. Daniel responds in a godly way, a God-honoring way. Also, what you have in verse 17, instead of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he went off to the uh, the Chaldeans, the the soothsayers, the diviners, you know, the, the, the stargazers. Look what Daniel does, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. They, they take their request to the king of heaven. They, they gather together for prayer. In contrast to Nebuchadnezzar gathering together the, the, the pagan idolaters, Daniel gathers together with his friends to bring his concerns before the Lord. And would you also notice that even after their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Daniel refers to them by their Hebrew names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What does Hananiah mean? God is gracious. What does Mishael mean? Who is like our God? What does Azariah mean? God has helped. And as they're they're coming before the Lord in prayer, their names actually indicate what they're about to receive from the Lord. They're, They're about to receive grace from God. They're about to see that there's nobody like their God. They're about to receive help from God. Their their names actually indicate what's going to happen. Just a beautiful reminder about the character of God. Daniel knows where to find truth, and he has confidence in the God of heaven. He appeals to the God of heaven. And we have no evidence that before this time that Daniel interpreted any dreams. But Daniel answers the king confidently and says, I'll come back with an interpretation. Why does he do that? How, How can he do that? He was confident that if God gives revelation, he will also give the interpretation of that revelation. That, that if this is from God, God is also going to make it plain. And he already had a line of faithful men before him. Men like I mentioned before, Jacob who had dreams, Joseph who had dreams, Solomon who had dreams. God spoke to them. And Daniel must have reasoned that if this is a revelation from God, God's going to give the interpretation so that he can gain glory from this. So he goes back to his house for this prayer meeting. Which is another interesting side note. Daniel had a house. <laughs> you know, whatever he received from, from Babylon, he, he definitely received a house. And they gather together here to seek compassion from God, not only for themselves, but also for the other wise men who are scheduled to be destroyed. They pray for compassion, which is revealing that Daniel seeks compassion even for these uh, idolaters. He seeks compassion for them. Later on, uh, some of these wise men seek his destruction, but he was seeking their, their life, their compassion, compassion for them. And then in verses uh, 19 to 13, we go from darkness to light. You know, the, 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 the conjurers, as they got together, they couldn't come up with anything. But Daniel, what does he receive? Look at verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Uh, the, the magicians couldn't come up with anything. But in contrast to that, Daniel receives the mystery revealed in a vision in the night. In contrast to the darkness of unbelief, Daniel experienced the light of revelation. And this vision that Daniel experienced not only revealed the the vision, but also the interpretation of the vision. I I love what uh, Psalm 127 says in verse 2. It says, he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. I mean, literally, Daniel in this night vision receives from the Lord. Receives the, the, all the revelation from the Lord that he needed. Incredible faith that, that Daniel would, would gather together with his friends and maybe even possibly just doze off to sleep and allow the Lord to give him the, the understanding of the, the dream and the interpretation in this vision. Kind of reminds me of, uh, of the Lord as he's uh, you know, asleep in the, in the boat just kind of being carried along, you know, just trusting in, in his God. This is what happens with, with Daniel. And then, after receiving this, this vision, in the morning, gets up, but instead of uh, going straight to Ariok and saying, I've got the vision, what does he do? Look at verse, verse 20. Verse 19, actually, the second part of verse 19, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. He's not like the, the nine lepers who receive from God and doesn't turn around to say thank you. Before I go out and tell what this vision means and say, hey, I've got it, I've got the answers, I'm first going to spend some time blessing God. Bless the God of heaven. He blessed the God of heaven. Verse 20, Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power even now you have made known to me what we've requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. There's this declaration of, of blessing. The to, to bless means to, to kneel before, to reverence God, to recognize him. He recognizes God because he's worthy of it. And you're to, be, you're to be blessed forever and ever. You're always to be praised. Eternally, God, you're always worthy of our praise. Let the name of God be blessed. It's an invitation to praise. Come and bless God with me. Let us Exalt his name together. Let the name of God be blessed. Daniel next moves to this defensive blessing. Why do we bless God? Because he is a God of wisdom. In contrast to the fake and phony gods of Babylon, this is a God of omniscience. He knows all. He knows the future as well as the past. He knows what we we dream in our sleep. God is the God who knows everything. He knows what's in the darkness as well as what's in the light in verse twenty two. Light dwells with him. The king's dream was not a secret to God. He knows exactly what the king was dreaming. In fact, it was God who ordained that the king would dream what he dreamt. In Daniel chapter 2, in verse 29, it says, As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. Again, God knows what your thoughts are. Your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. God gave you that dream. God knows what you're thinking, and God is giving you answers, king. God's giving you answers. You don't, you don't have to turn to the, to the false gods of the Babylonians anymore, king. There's truth from God that you can receive. There's revelation from God. You can know with certainty what God desires and requires. God is not only a God of wisdom, but he's the God of power. He alone has the power to bring to pass what he reveals. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken? Will he not make it good? God will do what he is promised he'll do what he's indicated that he'll do he's a god of wisdom he's a god of power he's a god of sovereignty look at verse 21 it is he who changes the times and the epics he removes kings and establishes kings and this has a specific application uh, for where the dream is going he's already telling us up front like this is what this dream is about about rising kings up and taking kings down god god does all of these things Oh, 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 king, this is is what's about to happen to you. This is what's going to come after you. It's God who removes and establishes authority. And then it's followed up by a specific description of what God has done for Daniel. This this repetition, the the opening declaration, God is a God of wisdom and, and power. And then in verse 23, he says, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power. God is a God of wisdom and power, and he has given me the understanding that I might declare to the king what, what the, the dream is and what the dream meant. You have given to me of your wisdom and power that I might make these things known. It's like this, this sandwich up top. God is the God of wisdom and power, and he's given me wisdom and power so that I might do what he's asked me to do. Then he says, even now you've made known to me what we've requested of you, for if you have made known to us the king's matter. Bless God. Praise God. God is the God of revelation. God is the one who declares the end from the beginning. God is the true God. And then he turns to Ariok and he says, I have living hope. In contrast to, uh, to how it ended with Nebuchadnezzar, it ended with death. Go kill them all. Kill them all. I have no truth. I have no hope. I have no answers. Just slaughter everybody. Like I'm done with it. Daniel turns around and he offers life. Look at verse 24. It says, Therefore, Daniel went in to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Instead of darkness, it ends with light. Instead of death, it ends with life and living hope. And Daniel takes the time to bless God, then turns to Arioch and says, don't, don't destroy the wise men. Let, let the wise men live. And some of those wise men would have been fellow Judeans, who were taken in and the deportation. Others were pagan witch doctors and idol worshipers. There were men who believed in multiple gods, practiced divination, speaking to the dead, casting spells, tracking the movement of the stars. But Daniel even had compassion for them. Don't don't kill them. Don't, Don't put them to death. He didn't want to see them destroyed. Not only did he want to save his friends, he also wanted to save his enemies. The stargazers, he wanted them to be saved. And who knows what kind of influence Daniel had on these men and how they would influence others after that. Who knows what kind of influence they would have. But there is one thing that we do know. We don't know this for sure, but what we do know is that 600 years after this time, there were another group of stargazers. Men who specialized in astronomy, astrology, the natural sciences, And they traveled from the east looking for a baby to worship. How did they know that they would be looking for this one who was to come? We don't know, but it could be that some of those who were physically saved were also spiritually saved because they realized that there's not a man on earth who could declare the matter to the king. Nobody can do this. No great king or ruler has ever asked for anything like this. Any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean, nobody has that kind of knowledge. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. There's no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Could it be that some of them changed their minds that day and said, uh, you know what? Uh, God can make this knowledge known. And uh, one day, God will make his dwelling among mortal flesh. And they came looking for the one who had been born king in order to worship him. Who knows what kind of influence? Many people, myself included, believe that, that from these magicians, conjurers, stargazers would one day come the magi who would come looking for the Messiah because the God of heaven would one day dwell among mortal flesh. And that's who Jesus Christ is, amen? And it's through him that we have true knowledge, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of, of life. <laughs> true life comes through the Son. You know, the, 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 the begotten Son has explained him, explained the Father. Jesus Christ comes as the, the perfect revelation of God and it's through that revelation that we find life. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you, God, so much for uh, this text. And uh, Father, as we uh, think about Nebuchadnezzar and many like him today uh, who are troubled, who know that there's something beyond this life, who know that there's, there's more to life than just what they can experience with their eyes and ears. We know that they can't just think up in their hearts and, and kind of come up with something that would satisfy them. Now, Father, uh, even as Scripture says, eternity has been written in the heart of every man. Uh, people are confused. And Father, we know that they're confused because their hearts are darkened. And because they're, they're hardened against their God. And Father, that there's, there's only one way to escape that darkness, Lord, and it's by the light of, of your revelation uh, the truth of Scripture that points to the, to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus Christ that men can have life, that men can truly live. Uh, Father, and I pray that uh, you'd help us to be uh, those that would proclaim the, the message of this life. Uh, Father, that we would be able to introduce others to the Savior, uh, the only name given among men by which we must be saved, which is Jesus Christ. And Father, we know that your word that's preached, the, the word of Christ, is how men come to faith in Christ. Uh, so, Father, I pray that you'd, you'd help us to be ready witnesses, uh, that we'd open up our mouths and, and speak this truth. And, Father, we are grateful that, that one day somebody spoke the truth to us, and uh, one day we were turned from, from darkness to light and from death to life. Uh, and, we, Father, we, we thank you again uh, for uh, your revelation that you've given to us, which is such a treasure. My Father, we give you all glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: You have been listening to George Lawson Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website, and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.